Good morning, everyone. Good morning and welcome here to the Haverkamp Room at Westminster Church. We are so thrilled to have Miri here this morning to teach us all about religious education being taught in schools in Israel. Is that correct? Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, my name is Jacob Bolton. I'm very new here to Westminster. This is only my fourth month. I came in October, but I'm the associate pastor of Christian Formation, and I'm thrilled to be here with you this morning. Let us pray. Loving God, you are a God who encourages us to learn, encourages us to form, encourages us to wrestle with our faith. We are grateful, grateful for the opportunity to work together with our friends at Agudas Akim, grateful to learn about how religion is taught and learned throughout your amazing world. Bless this time and bless this conversation. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, I do have one other quick announcement, and that is if you are a participant on the trip to Israel this coming soon, it's like six weeks away, isn't it? In February, there is a meeting on Tuesday night, four weeks away. Look at that. There's a meeting this Tuesday, am I right? In this room? Look at that. Everyone's on the same page except me. I love it. Um, without further ado, Miri. Let's give her a warm welcome. Thank you, thank you. Hello, everyone. Good morning. Uh, it's really great uh, to be here uh, for uh, the third time. Uh, we really feel uh, at home here uh, by now and uh, uh, very happy uh, to see some uh, familiar faces and feel uh, this uh, very warm uh, welcome we receive every time uh, we, we come here. Um, so uh, today uh, we're going to have uh, um, a conversation that will have a bit of a different structure. First, I'm going to give a very, very brief uh, sort of like a, an opening of a few words, and then we're going to have a lot of discussions in small groups, uh, the groups uh, that are uh, basically around uh, your round uh, tables. Um, so uh, today uh, there's a few things that I uh, wanted, you know, to give you a taste of, uh, and um, and it's really about how Bible is being taught in in Israel. Now uh, in Israel, the education systems are uh, uh, are divided or separated. Um, there's a uh, um, um, the uh, Jewish uh, um, education system that is also uh, divided to a religious system and the general secular um, uh, education system that both, uh, uh, both of us uh, went. And it's about, I think, now 40% uh, percent of, uh, the Jewish, uh, um, of the Jewish kids go to this education uh, uh, system. Um, and uh, the thing is, that even though that it's like the general system, the secular education system, still Bible is a mandatory learning subject. So how can it be that in the secular uh, education system, a Bible is a mandatory, you know, learning subject? And uh, that's the thing that uh, the perspective of how the Bible is being taught is a bit different that uh, uh, you might uh, uh, you might think or might expect. The idea is uh, to teach Bible because it's very important to us, um, the Jewish uh, people, Jewish state. But in this system, uh, Bible is being taught not necessarily as a religious text. Rather, 
a text that is connected to our culture, a text that is connected to our legacy, a text that has uh, a lot of uh, uh, the history of the Jewish people and the history of, uh, of the Holy Land. Um, so the Bible is really taught um, in a way that also looks at it from perspectives like uh, historical perspective, geopolitical perspectives. When we read story uh, in the Bible, we look, what were the interests of the different characters in the Bible? What's the reality in the, um, in the land at that time? And um, this is a very, very important um, lens that we're uh, looking through. Um, so uh, today I want you, uh, I want to give you a taste of the, those perspectives to look at the text uh, um, in kind of like a bit of a critical way. Um, and uh, from this perspective, it's okay to disagree with the characters. It's okay to think that sometimes they can show uh, bad judgment. It's okay to think, well, I think he, sh he or she should have done this or that. Um, and also, it's very, very just uh, a Jewish thing to argue and to disagree and to have debates. So that's also a very, very uh, uh, big, uh, big part of it. Um, we're going to war work today in the small groups, as I said. First, we're going to read, um, Amir will read for us uh, the text that we're going to focus. And then you'll have a few minutes to discuss that in the small groups. It's okay if you don't get to discuss everything. Again, the idea is sort of just to give you a taste of how it's being done and a taste of this uh, mindset. Okay, so I will be our uh, reader today. Uh, we will read verses in a few slides, but right now I'm just going to, because of time constraints, read the story not through the original verses in this specific slide. And the story that Miri chose to discuss, honestly, one of my favorites in the Bible, the story of David and uh, Avshalom, Absalom, his son. Uh, I'm going to use the Hebrew names, you will forgive me when I read. Uh, Avshalom was born while David ruled over the tribe of Judea in the city of Hebron. Hebron. Back then, David was still fighting against the last supporters of King Saul over control of the entire kingdom of Israel. David had children from four different women. Avshalom and his sister Tamar were the children of David's fourth wife, Ma'aka. Avshalom is described in the Bible as handsome, smart, and devious. Amnon, one of Avshalom's half-brothers, fell in love with Tamar, who was very beautiful. Amnon, who was David's heir apparent, pretended to be ill and asked David to send Tamar to make him food. Tamar did as David asked, but when she arrived, Amnon took her to his bedroom and raped her. After the rape, Tamar begged Amnon to give her his patronage. In those days, a woman's virginity was sacred, and Tamar preferred to live under Amnon's patronage than to be known as a woman who lost her virginity before getting married. But Amnon refused and banished her. When King David heard about all of this, he didn't use his authority as a parent or as a king to punish Amnon and make it right by Tamar. Avshalom, her brother, took her into his house and avoided any contact with Amnon for two years. All of this is told in the Bible. <laughs> Uh, 
Um, so now I would like you to uh, um, to go to your uh, small uh, groups, right? Uh, and uh, here uh, we have uh, um, a question, really. You are a group of kings, David's advisors. And you need to decide what will be the best thing for him to do at this point of time, uh, taking into consideration uh, what Amir uh, just uh, read. Um, and um, and you need to, to, to make a decision as a group what you think uh, King David uh, should do. Um, and in every... Um, in every choice you make, you also need to discuss. Well, why do you think this? Cho- wh- why do you think he should do this and not the other thing? And what are the values that are in the core of of this particular decision that you uh, decide? Uh, so please go ahead. Yes. Yeah. Are we talking in the context of the biblical narrative, or is it this happened today? So um, that's a. Re- you, you can do both. You can do both. Uh, obviously, um, obviously, we live in completely different time with, with completely different norms. But um, in, um, from the perspective that I try to bring, it's, it's okay to bring both those perspectives into consideration. Okay. And it's part of it, right? We can't change the fact that we live today in 2020 and we're re- reading a text that is much more ancient. But still, how do we make it relevant for today? And what can we learn from it today, even if we choose to disagree, which is totally fine. So please uh, go ahead. We have a few minutes uh, for you to discuss that in your groups. And then we'll continue the story, of course.
Okay, um, due to uh, some uh, time restrictions and the fact that we have an entire story still uh, to review, uh, we're going to move now uh, with, uh, with the plot and uh, Amir is going to read for us the next part and then we're going to go and have another discussion again in the small groups. Uh, and, and just to be clear, um, while we are now having, you know, from the scripture, it's not, we did make some um, short things because otherwise we would never make it. Uh, usually <laughs> in an Israeli school, this would be a 90 minute class, what we're doing today, and we condensed it into 60. So, all right. So from, from the book of Shmuel, Samuel, um, two years later, when Shalom was having his flock sheared at Baal Chatzor near Ephraim, that's not too far from today, the city of Ramallah in the West Bank. Uh, Avshalom invited all the king's sons. Avshalom invited all of the other princes basically to, to his kind of uh, celebration around this uh, agricultural event. Avshalom gave his attendants these orders. Watch, and when Amnon is merry with wine, and I tell you to strike down Amnon, kill him. Don't be afraid, for it is I who give you that order. Act with determination like brave men. Avshalom's attendants did to Amnon as Avshalom had ordered whereupon all the other princes mounted their mules and fled. They were fl still on the road when a rumor reached David that Avshalom had killed all the princes and that not one of them had survived. At this, David rent his garment and lay down on the ground, meaning he was uh, in mourning. But Yonadav, Jonadab, the, the son of David's brother Shema, said, My Lord must not think that all the young princes have been killed. Only Amnon is dead. For this has been decided by Avshalom ever since his sister Tamar was violated. Amnon alone is dead. When, meanwhile, Avshalom had fled, and he came to Talmai, the king of Kshur. This was the uh, family of his mother. Um, he came to Talmai, the king of Kshur. And King David mourned over his son a long time. Avshalom, who had fled to Kshur, remained there three years. And King David was Painting away for Avshalom, for the king had gotten over Amnon's death. 
Okay, you're again advisors to King David. Which option do you think um, you would advise him? What do you think that he should do at this point of time, given the background story we just read, given everything that just happened? Um, so uh, please go ahead. If, if, so, if somebody is not seeing, basically, you know, David needs to, David needs to uh, punish Avshalom, or he needs to bring him back and not punish him because he also didn't punish Amnon, or he needs to basically turn him into the heir apparent because he had just shown that he's strong and can do something when you need to do it. <laughs> just let's have quick discussions on this one. Okay. Mm. All right, friends, we're going to have to keep moving because of the time. I know everybody is very curious to learn about the end of the story. So let's keep it moving. Although I know you can talk about each one of these questions for an hour by itself. All right. Okay. So we're moving along with the story. 
So, uh, Yoav, or Joab, as it's written in the English translation. This, by the way, is the name of my late grandfather, Yoav. Uh, Yoav, the son of Tzruya, could see that the king's mind was on Avshalom. So, Yoav sent to Tkoa, it's a city outside of Bethlehem, and brought a clever woman from there. He said to her, pretend you are in mourning. Go to the king and say to him, thus and thus. And Yoav told her what to say. The woman came to the king and cried out, I am a widow, my husband is dead. Your maidservant had two sons. The two of them came to blows out in the fields, and one of them struck the other and killed him. Then the whole clan confronted your maidservant and said, Hand over the one who killed his brother, that we may put him to death. Thus they would squench the last ember remaining to me. The king said to the woman, Go home. I will issue an order in your behalf. And the woman of Tkoa said to the king, My lord king, may the guilt be on me and not on my ancestral house. Your majesty and his throne are guiltless. In making this pronouncement, your majesty condemns himself in that your majesty does not bring back his own banished one. Meaning, you know, if you, forg- if you are allowing me to not give my son to punishment, why are you still estranged from your son who did the same thing? The king asked, is Yoav in league with you in all this? And the woman replied, yes, your servant Yoav was the one who instructed me, basically to make up this whole story. Then the king said to Yoav, I will do this thing. Go and bring back my boy Absalom. Fashlat. Okay. You are a group of King David's advisors. And you now need to decide what's the best thing uh, for him to do, given uh, this current situation, given the lesson he just uh, uh, learned from uh, the wise uh, woman from Tkoa or uh, Yoav, his uh, chief of staff, basically, that set this whole thing up. Uh, what do you advise uh, him to do? So please uh, go ahead and discuss that in your groups. Should stand trial for the murder if you don't be forgiven for it. 
Oh, number one. Oh, no. Yes, I mean, it's not about guessing the next phase. It's more about what do you think should be right Where is your heart? I mean, for, I, for example, if I had to choose, I would probably choose number one. Kind of like the in between option. You don't put him on trial, but you also don't reward him. Okay, let's let's move to the next slide. All right, let's read what happens next. This is after Avshalom returns to Jerusalem, after Yoav brings him back. The king said, let him go directly to his house and not present himself to me. So Avshalom went directly to his house and did not present himself to the king. No one in all Israel was so admired for his beauty as Avshalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, he was without blemish. Avshalom lived in Jerusalem two years without appearing before the king, meaning they, they just didn't meet, father and son. Then Avshalom sent for Yoav, but Yoav would not come to him. He sent for him a second time, but he would not come. So Avshalom said to his servants, Look, Yoav's field is next to mine. Go and set it on fire. Yoav came at once to Avshalom's house and said to him, Why did your servants set fire to my field? Avshalom replied to Yoav, I sent for you to come here. I wanted to send you to the king with a message for me. Why did I leave Gshur? I would be better off if I were still there. Now let me appear before the king. And if I am guilty of anything, let him put me to death. Yoav went to the king and reported to him, whereupon he summoned Avshalom. Avshalom came to the king and flung himself face down to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Avshalom. Okay, so we have a, we have a temporary uh, sort of uh, temporarily solution to uh, this whole uh, father and son uh, situation to this whole uh, uh, family saga. But um, what you know now that uh, Avshalom uh, is back uh, in Jerusalem and is back uh, to see uh, King David. Um, still, I mean, should he be uh, punished or should he become uh, King uh, David's heir? I mean, it's, it looks like they, you know, made amends. But is it the right thing to do? I mean, uh, an heir to the king and like this whole thing, it's not just a family matter. It's, it's the, you know, it's, it's, it's the royal family. It's uh, the ruler. There's a big responsibility there. So... Uh, well, we were seeing dramas in royal families even today. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
And, and should uh, he be rewarded after this provocation where he's basically, you know, burning people's fields in the middle of Jerusalem? <laughs> and uh, being uh, very uh, forceful, uh, right? I mean, asking for something, not getting it, decided to get that uh, by force. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing for a future uh, king uh, to do? So uh, please go ahead. <laughs> Okay, so we just had a discussion about whether uh, King David should basically make amends with uh, Avshalom or should he be worried about Avshalom's provocative manners and the fact that he can get away without punishment. Let's see what happens now. After a period had gone by, Avshalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow that I made to the Lord. 
For your servant made a vow when I lived in Gshur of Aram. This is where he was in exile. If the Lord ever brings me back to Jerusalem, I will worship the Lord. The king said to him, go in peace. And so he set out for Hebron. Just to say, back then, this is in the early days of the kingdom of David, Jerusalem was a new city. Um, whereas Hebron was the center of power of the tribe of Judea, which was David's tribe. So it was still more significant religiously. Yes, and uh, the, the status of uh, Jerusalem as the holy city of uh, the main uh, city in terms of religion and uh, geopolitical aspects was still not quite established. It was still very new. So, um, okay, and so he set out for Hebron. But Avshalom sent agents to all the tribes of Israel to say, when you hear the blast of the horn, announce that Avshalom has become king in Hebron. <laughs> 200 men of Jerusalem accompanied Avshalom. They were invited and went in good faith, suspecting nothing. Avshalom also sent to fetch Achitophel, David's counselor, from his town Gilon, which, when the sacrifices were to be offered. The conspiracy gained strength, and the people supported Avshalom in increasing numbers. Someone came and told David, the loyalty of the men of Israel has veered toward Avshalom. Whereupon David said to all the courtiers who were with him in Jerusalem, let us flee at once, or none of us will escape from Avshalom. We must get away quickly, or he will soon overtake us and bring down disaster upon us and put the city to the sword. Wow. Okay. Maybe now some of the questions from the earlier uh, discussions look in a different light. Yes. Um, what... Um what King David uh, should do now, uh, it looks like, uh, you know, there's a, a revolt, really, that uh, is uh, led by his own son, uh, whom he forgave uh, um, so uh, um, so graciously. And what's next? What should he do next? Should he run away? Should he reconcile? Should he go on a fight with his own son and against a group of his own people, right? It's, it's, it's a, it could lead to a civil war as well. So I uh, would like uh, to hear, you know, uh, in the groups, uh, what do you guys think? What do you guys uh, will choose? What would you advise to King David?
So uh, I have to say that uh, Amir and I, we actually disagree on, on this part. <laughs> I, I think that um, King David should, uh, you know, fight uh, Absalom. Yes, so I have supporters here. <laughs> Um, he, he, he forgave him several times. He was soft with him several times. He wasn't harsh enough on him. And, uh, and now look, uh, what happens, right? He gained too much power. He, he doesn't, uh, he didn't seem to realize that, uh, actions might have consequences. I disagree. I think, <laughs> I think the kingdom of David, he's only the second king of Israel after King Saul, King Shaul. To have a civil war, with just the second king in power is really dangerous. And throughout the story, it's true that he was soft on Avshalom, but he never actually tried to offer him what Avshalom, I think, rightfully deserves, which is to be the heir apparent after Amnon, who was, you know, he, Amnon did a terrible thing that disgraced the family. Avshalom killed him, and he deserved it. And instead of telling him, my, my boy, Avshalom, you are now going to be the next king. David is kind of like not here and not there, you know, sitting on the fence. Like, it, it, we can still avert disaster if we now make peace between the father and the son. <laughs> who, who agrees uh, with Amir on that? I'm just curious. It's... Oh, I mean, just, the, just, uh, I mean the minority. <laughs> 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 Who agrees with Amir that uh, King David should make Absalom his uh, heir? And to avoid a uh, civil war initially and all that? Okay. And, and who thinks that King David should fight Absalom? Oh, I'm sorry, honey. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. Let's read. And Achitophel, remember this was the advisor of David who switched sides and went with Avshalom. And Achitophel said to Avshalom, let me pick 12,000 men and set out tonight in pursuit of David. I will come upon him when he is weary and disheartened and I will throw him into a panic. And when all the troops with him flee, I will kill the king alone. But Avshalom said, summon Hushai the archite, another man, another advisor, as well. So we can hear what he too has to say. Hushai came to Avshalom, and Avshalom said to him, This is what Achitophel has advised. Shall we follow his advice? Hushai said to Avshalom, This advice is not good. Your father and his men are courageous fighters, and they are as desperate as a bear in the wild robed of her whelps. Your father is an experienced soldier, and he will not spend the night with the troops. So I advise that all Israel, all the other tribes basically, were not Judea, all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, from north to south, as numerous as the sands of the sea, be called up to join you, and that you yourself will march into battle. Avshalom agreed that the advice of Hushai the Archite was better than that of Achitophel, 
Then Hushai told the priests, Tzadok and Aviatar, this is what Achitophel advised of Shalom and this is what I advised. Now send at once and tell David, do not spend the night at the wilderness, but cross over, cross the Jordan basically, cross over at once. Otherwise the king and all the troops with him will be annihilated. So basically Hushai was a double agent. <laughs> David mustered the troops who were with him and set over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds. David sent out the troops, one-third under the command of Yoav, one-third under the command of Yoav's brother Avishai, son of Tzuriah, and one-third under the command of Itai the Giti. He gave orders to Yoav, Avishai, and Itai, Deal gently with my boy Avshalom for my sake. All the troops heard the king give that order about Avshalom to all the officers. The troops marched out into, open, into the open and confronted the, uh, to confront the Israelites, basically who were with Avshalom at this point. And the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. The Israelite troops were routed by David's followers and a great slaughter took place there that day, 20,000 men. The battle spread out over that whole region, and the forest devoured more troops that day than the sword. Avshalom encountered some of David's followers. Avshalom was riding on a mule, and as the mule passed under the tangled branches of the great terebinth, so a tree, his hair got caught in the tree. He was held between heaven and earth as the mule under him kept going. Remember, we, we read about his beautiful long hair. So this basically is what got him in this situation where he's now stuck on the tree and he's alive. Okay. What do you think um, should be done uh, next? You, you have... Uh, um, does David need to take Absalom from the Terebinth and imprison him? Um, does King David need to order to uh, kill Avshalom? Or does he need to take him off the tree and forgive uh, the treason and, like Amir suggested, declare him as an heir and maybe put an end to this whole situation?
Okay, let's um, Okay, friends, let's read because we are now at the height of the drama. And uh, I, 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 I have to tell you, in my, you know, I, I work as a journalist and I write about uh, current events. I think there is no better political thriller in, than the, the, the Old Testament. You know, for me, I got to tell you the stories that are told there are more interesting uh, and they have more drama a lot of times than events that we see on the news and we are sure that they are the most dramatic ever. Definitely more readers, you know. They get more <laughs> readers, that's true. Um, and I think, you know, this is really one of the most amazing stories. Okay, so remember, now we are at a situation where Avshalom is basically stuck on this tree held by his hair. And the war has been fought. Um, the battle has been lost by his side, but he, he's still alive. And remember what King David told all of his soldiers. Do not harm my boy. One of the men saw it and told Yoav, I have just seen Avshalom hanging from a terebinth. Yoav said to the man who told him, you saw it. Why didn't you kill him then and there? But the man answered Yoav, even if I had a thousand shekels of silver in my hands, I would not raise a hand against the king's son. Yoav replied, Then I will not wait for you. He took three darts in his hand and drove them into Avshalom's chest. They took Avshalom and flung him into a large pit in the forest and they piled up a very great heap of stones over it. Then Yoav said to a, a Kushite, uh, this is somebody from uh, African uh, descent, uh, go tell the king what you have seen. The Kushite bowed down before Yoav and ran off. Um, there's, a, there's a whole story. It, it's ve the verses are very long, but there were two runners that day. The one that was sent before, and then this is the second one, to bring news from the battle. David was sitting between the inner and outer gates of the city of Ephraim, waiting for news. Then the Kushite arrived and said, My lord the king, hear the good news. The Lord has vindicated you today by delivering you from the hand of all who rose up against you. He just tells him, we won the battle, we, we won this, this war. The king asked the Kushite, is the young man of Shalom safe? And the Kushite replied, may the enemies of my Lord, the king, and all who rise up to harm you be like that young man. <laughs> Basically telling him that Avshalom is dead. The king was shaken. He went up to the upper chamber of the gateway and wept, moaning these words as he went. My son of Shalom, 
Oh my son, my son of Shalom, if only I, I had died instead of you. Oh Shalom, my son, my son. Yoav was told that the king was weeping and mourning over Avshalom, and the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the troops. For that day the troops heard that the king was grieving over his son. The troops stole into town that day like troops ashamed after running away in battle. The king covered his face and, the, and he kept crying aloud, Oh my son of Shalom, Oh of Shalom, my son, my son. So um, I think here, in, uh, and, and this is a story that uh, is part of uh, the curriculum that uh, we all study uh, in, in Israel. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's a much longer story. As Amir said, we had to condense it a little bit to fit it only in an hour. Um, but um, I think uh, this story gives us a very good example of how uh, uh, the Bible, how the Old Testament can be, um, the stories in it could be relevant even for these days. We have here big dilemmas uh, like um, what price um, a leader should pay uh, in order to have uh, uh, a unity in, in the people or what price each of the sides uh, should pay. Um, are there things that should be allowed to uh, sons of a leader just because uh, their father or they are in a certain position? Even questions about uh, parental authority, you know, things within the family. What should you do? How can... How should you handle uh, certain uh, situations that happen in your own uh, personal uh, life? Um, now, um, the thing is, uh, in Israel today, that um, in, um, in teaching Bible and history and other uh, humanistic uh, subjects, um, there starts to be an understanding that just teaching a story, you know, just handing out a text and uh, teaching, uh, you know, uh, you should know this, you should know that, you should, uh, or make students memorize is not good enough anymore in these days. You know, everything, every text you want, every explanation you need, you can probably find in a book or in the Internet. And the idea is that you need to make it relevant for your own life because otherwise, you know, the young generation would just not be interested. You need to make it relevant. You need to make them passionate about it. You need to make them feel that it's something that they could encounter in their own, you know, reality. Um, so uh, this method of learning in small groups and having discussions and having debates um, becomes a much more bigger uh, thing today in Israel education uh, as a sort of a way to try to uh, accommodate to a younger generation that could have any information they want just like in the click uh, on their phone or on their uh, laptops. 
Um, so thank you so much. Um, we have a few more minutes if anyone has a question. You can ask a question about um, what we had today. You can ask a question about some of our previous sessions. I believe we have time for perhaps uh, one or two uh, questions if anyone has. Well, you have also paid the price for it, uh, yeah. because I mean. Um, yeah, I, I mean, King, King. Um, eventually, Absalom uh, is not uh, becoming uh, King David's heir. Uh, King Solomon becomes uh, David's uh, King David's heir. Uh, he's not necessarily the older, or um, it's it, it's not uh, it's not uh, because of like age hierarchy or any of those stuff. Uh, King David uh, doesn't revenge against uh, against uh, Yoav personally, but he keeps uh, a grudge, and uh, in his will he. Um, um, he commands uh, uh, his son Solomon uh, to kill uh, Yoav for what he did to uh, Absalom. Which is decades later, so you realize that this was something that was, yes. you know, brewing in him for a long, long time. And by the way, just to say, this story is taught in schools in Israel. I think this is something you learn in seventh grade. I think, yes. Yeah. yeah, so this specific story in, as part of the Bible curriculum, you know, you start in first grade with Genesis, um, <laughs> and you get to this story around seventh grade, which is a you know, 13-year-old kid. It's not an easy discussion to have, but it's part but, of uh, learning. Yes, I mean, it's like uh, in history you, you begin to study about wars and, and uh, other things. Uh, by the way, just to say that the whole section of uh, prophets uh, is a very uh, there's a big emphasis on prophets, on kings, on judges in the education system in Israel uh, because um, those parts have to do with the Israelites coming back uh, to Israel and forming a sovereign uh, kingdom, uh, their own country essentially. And uh, it, uh, it's seen uh, in the Zionist narrative and um, in the education system today as something that, you know, uh, something we build on because we are, again, today a sovereign nation. And that's why it's so important to learn what happened historically and uh, and uh, sort of like to derive from those sources uh, today. So there's big emphasis on uh, those parts, even if they're not uh, sometimes the most, uh, you know, the most uh, nice or comforting, and there's big, you know, dilemmas and heartache when you read that. But it's it's part of uh, it's part of the text and part of uh, life too, I guess. Yes. First of all, I want to thank both of you for two marvelous presentations last week and, and today. Thank you. Thank you. Also, <laughs> referring particularly to what uh, was presented last week, <clears throat> what you are going through in your lives near Gaza is extremely unfair to you.
extremely unfair to you. Now, when politicians and leaders in the world, especially if they are extremists in their views, who cannot deal with each other for peace and cooperation, it is the it is the uh, innocent citizens who are the vast majority of the people in the world who get the brunt of it. Now, both of you on your side and the people like you on your side and the people like you on all other sides of the Middle East are the ones who give us hope that in time you can bring about peace and justice in that wonderful part of the world. So again, thank you and congratulations and God bless you and good luck in your work. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Amen. Thank you. I think we have one more quick question if anybody has because then we promise to let everyone go at quarter two. So any final question? All right. Well, Thank you for thank listening you so much and participating. Thank you for having us today.